Well, good morning once again, and welcome to the final week of our series, The Good Life. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online, too, in case you're just coming in. My name's Dion. I'm glad to be here with you today to share, uh, I think, an important conclusion of a really powerful series. Here's how I want to start today, though. I want to start asking you to imagine something. I want you to imagine now that you are well along in years. Now, for some of you, that'll take a little more imagining than others, I realize. won't point any fingers, but uh, you're well along in years. And, uh, and not only that, but you know, you know that the end of your life is near. You're drawing near to the end of your life. You know that. And so because of that, you gather around you the people in your life who matter most to you. You can picture kids or grandkids or great-grandkids or nieces or nephews, um, whoever it is who, who you think will matter most to you at that point in life. And I know some of you are really young, and this is, these people don't even exist yet, maybe. Um, but I want you to imagine it anyway. And I want to imagine that you get the opportunity now, with all of them gathered around you, you get the opportunity to speak to them about what matters most to you. You get, you get a chance to speak to them about the wisdom you have acquired over the course of your life. You get to speak to them about what you think will truly make their lives blessed and good and abundant and full. If you had that opportunity, if God ever gave that to you someday, what would you say? I'm going to ask you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that later. A couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to be up in Michigan, which is where I hail from, along with my family. Uh, we had a chance to go up there and, and see our family, which uh, I don't know about you if, if you, if St. Louis isn't home for you and you have an opportunity to travel home ever, going home is kind of an interesting experience, isn't it? Um, you know, when you go home, and for me, I immediately step back into my like 18 or 19-year-old eyes. And I see the world like I did back then. And what's really fascinating is I, I love to go home for this reason is that I, I, can, I can then appreciate how different my life is now than I ever thought it would be when I was, when I was living back at home. Not only that, um, this trip I had a lot of fun taking my kids around to some places that really had meaning to me and showing them my old stomping grounds. And so we went all around to some of my favorite places. And of course, my kids were absolutely underwhelmed by it all which made me really happy, and my wife was like, just chill out, you know, and I was like, whatever. So, uh, you know, they, they were kind of bored with all of that, but it was fine. I thought it was important for me to show that to them, even though they didn't appreciate it in greats. Um, but uh, so, you know, we, we did some of that. And then, um, and then, you know, the thing I love about going home, too, is that I love, I love the opportunity for me, again, personally, to reflect on all that I received there in that place from my family of origin. I, I love to think about the legacy that I've been made a part of. Now, in my family, probably top of the list, even before faith, actually, is the, is the legacy of music. Whenever we get together, we play music. It's a part of our regular uh, just experience of getting together. And so uh, one day when we were on vacation, some of you saw this Facebook video out there. Uh, my dad and my nephews, they dragged out a bunch of equipment, some guitars and basses and, um, and, and PAs and amps and a microphone and a full drum kit. And they dragged it out um, on the patio behind my sister's house. And this is what we did. We played music together. Uh, this is my daughter Ellie, by the way, singing. That's my dad over there. Um, over here is my nephew Holden and uh, my nephew Talon and my other nephew uh, Sterling or Kuda. Shirtlessness is part of our family legacy too. I just to be aware of that. Um, sorry if that offends anyone. But um, so this is what we did, you know, like for hours, for hours, just taking turns of playing different songs and people, different people singing and the rest of the family just kind of sitting and listening to that. And I had a moment during all of this. This is a regular thing that we do. 
But I had a moment where I just thought, this isn't normal, is it? <laughs> like, this isn't what probably most people do when they get together as, as family, but it's something that we do all the time. And it just reminded me that this is a part of my legacy. This is a part of my birthright. And more importantly, it helped my kids see that too, that when we get together in our house and we sing and we, uh, we do music together, that that's not something we just started. That's something that we receive from my parents and from my grandparents. It's a part of our, our legacy. See, legacies are powerful things. I don't know if you've thought much about yours. They can consist of all different kinds of things. I just talked about music. Uh, but legacies can be made up of all different sorts of things. Um, there can be legacies in politics or education, athletics. You know, you think about the, the Manning brothers, those great quarterbacks. And then their father, also a great a pro football player. Um, there are legacies of personality. You know, just, just people who, my, my uh, eldest daughter, Ellie, she realized in meeting her great aunt Linda that she is fully a Garrett woman, because Garrett women just have this, this, you know, personality, and Ellie's like, I get it now, you know, I get where I, I get all this from, you know, there are attitudes, there are jobs, there are, you know, there, there are all of these things caught up in legacy, but there's also negative things, there are things like, like hatred for a certain group of people that, that is passed down, or prejudice, or um, abuse, or even um, some, some addictions, that's a part of legacy sometimes. And all of that is, is stuff that's wrapped up and it's given to us as we grow up. And yet th- the truth is that we aren't under any obligation just to hand it down to the next generation without thinking about it. See, the power that we all have is to take the legacy that we have received and we've got the power to edit it, don't we? We've got the power to to take things away or to add things to it and then hand it off. But the problem is that few of us actually think about doing this in any kind of intentional way. Too often what does happen is that we take what we've received and we hand it down just basically the way we got it with a few tweaks without thinking about it as if that's just some sort of obligation. We don't take the opportunity to actually begin to craft and fashion the legacy we want to leave behind. Now, sure, we do this in some things, like when it comes to finances, you know, when it comes to, to money, where is it on the screen? Here it is, finances. Um, you know, often we, we plan our financial legacy, so we set up wills and estates and trusts, and we, we go to lawyers and financial planners, and we take care of that part of our legacy, a part that, you know, might last a generation or two. But what about everything else that makes up our legacy? See, today I want to challenge you to think about this because the stakes of this are really, really high. If you don't think about the legacy that you've received and and more importantly, the legacy you want to leave behind to the people who come after you, whether they are your blood relatives or not, for, for the next generation, if you're not thinking about that intentionally, let me tell you what's at stake. At stake is the good life for future generations. At stake in this is the good life for future generations. See, if if you don't think about your legacy, then what's going to happen is that the people who come after you, the generations who come after you, they're going to be left just trying to figure it all out, sort it all out. And uh, what, what is at stake for them is that they might miss out on the good life that God wants for them. Now, some of you know this because you grew up in families where if, you know, your legacy words that were just up here a minute ago, there were all kinds of negative stuff and you had to leave that stuff behind and you had to fight to find the good life and you did by God's grace. But you know how hard that is, don't you? And you know how much pain that it causes to try to figure this out yourself. You know how much life is lost in the process of trying to figure this out yourself. Now, some of you on the other side, you were parts of families that were very intentional about imparting to you the good life and teaching you about what would truly make a life worth living. And so you just kind of grew up 
without, without even having to think about it. You just kind of knew intuitively what would make the good life, and you know what a blessing that can be. See, today, again, I want to challenge you, as we close off this series, to begin to think about the legacy you will leave behind, again, whether it's blood, relatives, or not. Because you, every one of you sitting in this room today, no matter how old you are, you have the power to fashion a legacy that will be a blessing to generations of people who will come after you. You have the power to not only fashion a legacy that will be a blessing to yourself, but to generations of people who have yet to even be able to see the light of day. And to talk about this a little further, um, I want to look at the example, the life of King David, for two reasons. One, because he's a king, and kings are especially concerned with legacy, right? If you're a king, you just kind of have to worry about legacy. Uh, But the other reason is that David is a man who models what it is to have a heart for God, and that was something that was so important for him. He was a guy who really figured out a lot about what it means to live the good life. So today we're going to look um, at David's story, and we're going to look at a moment in David's life, which is a lot like the moment I described for you at the beginning of the service, a moment where he is nearing the end of his life, and he knows it. And so he summons his son Solomon, who is the next king of Israel. He calls Solomon to himself, and he begins to speak over Solomon his hopes and dreams for Solomon's life. He begins to articulate his desired legacy that is to live on through Solomon. And uh, this goes on and on. We're only going to look at four verses Because I think in four verses, we can get set up to do the same. So uh, let's look right now at 1 Kings chapter 2, page 330. If you're here in the room in your Bibles, I encourage you to open that up if you want. Um, You can look at the Bible app, or you can look along here on the screen. It says, when the time drew near for David David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. Now, I I want you just to take in these words for a minute, because they just sound so matter-of-fact. But I want you to think about what's really going on here. David, this man of God, this king of Israel, who has been the best king Israel has known. It's pretty easy. There were only two before this, but, you know, still, he's the best one. Um, but a man of incredible heart and passion and strength. He's nearing the end of his life. He's, he's going to die soon. And so he calls his son to himself, his son that he loves, the son that is going to take over and become the next king over the nation of Israel. And they get to exchange this really intimate tender moment. Um, I I just say that because maybe you've experienced something like that in your life before. You know how sacred this is. This is a very sacred, intentional, well-thought-out moment. Every word that David speaks will matter incredibly. So I, I want you just to have that in mind as he says these next few words. David says, I am about to go the way of, the, of all the earth. You know, I'm about to go the way of everyone before me. I'm about to go to the earth, he said. So here's what I want, here's what I want to say to you, son. Be strong, Act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may also keep his promise to me. And and here's the promise God made to David. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So uh, in these verses, David begins to speak, articulate his hopes and dreams for his son Solomon, how he will carry on the family legacy. And now notice what he didn't say anything about. He didn't talk about wealth, He didn't talk about fame. He didn't talk about power. He didn't talk about notoriety, even though that stuff that David had and that stuff that Solomon was sure to have, that's not where David puts his emphasis. 
Instead, David sums up his talk with three key phrases uh, that I want to look at today more in depth. The secret of David's good life legacy. The first is be strong, he said. Be strong, Solomon. See, David had learned over the course of being king that it takes strength to be a leader. Now, David was this poet, he was this artist, he was this musician. You might think that David was soft because he did all those things, but he wasn't. David was tough. He was a warrior. He did battle. He consolidated the empire of, uh, of Israel in a way that, that uh, even his uh, predecessor had not done. David was a powerful guy, but, but more than that, David realized that in order to pursue the good life, the best things that God has for us, it takes strength. The good life doesn't come easy, does it? Even though God's handing it to us and he's saying, take it, to take hold of it, to walk in it, it's not easy for us to do. It requires strength. See, in life, in life, this is a general principle, in life, no one is going to make it easy for you to uh, go against the crowd. If you're expecting someone to make it easy for you to, to pursue a life that is, that is truly um, countercultural and different and ultimately worthwhile, if you're waiting for people to applaud you and cheer you on, you're, you're, you're crazy. It's never going to happen. No one's going to make it easy for you to do that. Now, sure, they might applaud for you after you're dead and gone, and they'll say, wow, what a great person, what strength and what conviction. But while you're living, no one's going to make it easy for you. They're, they're going to make it hard on you. People are going to want you to pressure, they're going to want to pressure you rather to conform, to fall in, to be like them, because people are insecure. So, uh, you know, you may not be passing on a legacy to a king or a queen, but this, this word from David is so important. A legacy of strength because it takes strength to live with conviction. It takes, takes strength to grab hold of God's best for you rather than the stuff that the world will just give you easily and freely. Secondly, David says, observe what the Lord your God requires. Be strong so that you can do this. Observe what the Lord God requires. David didn't say to Solomon, hey Solomon, you should go to church regularly and study your Bible and memorize Bible verses. Even though that stuff is great. David took it a step further, and what did he say? He said, Solomon, I want you to observe what the Lord your God requires. I want you not only to listen to what God says, but I want you to do it. I want you to obey. I want you to follow what God says. Years later, Jesus would put it this way. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, I'll pause there again. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, see, that's the difference maker. It's not just hearing the word of God or knowing the word of God, but it's ultimately putting them into practice. He said, that person is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, for David, it's so clear that not only do you have to be strong in order to have, uh, to take hold of a great legacy, to take hold of the good life, but you've got to be willing to observe, to do what God says. Now, we get this messed up all the time when we talk about obedience, we either think that, um, that, that, you know, we should just do what God says because he said so and, and that's just what we should do and so we obey blindly. Or we think that, you know, man, if, if you obey God, then he'll bless you. He'll reward you for obeying. And both of these ideas are kind of messed up, actually. So when we talk about obedience, the reason we should obey, the reason we should observe what God says is first, not because he's, a, he's a, an authoritarian figure, but because he's a good and loving father. David is about to go the way of all the earth, and yet he's telling his son that, that the voice of God still remains. It's like what Stacy just said a minute ago before she sang that song, right? The voice of God remains a good father who wants to speak words of truth and help to you. He's worth listening to if you trust and know what his heart is for you. And see, not only that, though, God doesn't reward the obedient, 
But when God speaks to you, he's trying to help you discover how to really live. His words are instructions on how to take hold of fullness. And so it may feel like when you obey God that you get rewarded, but, but the truth is, God is telling you how to, how to take hold of abundance and fullness and goodness in your life. And when you listen to him, when you follow his instructions, you're, you're just like following the map to a life of abundance. It's not like God rewards you for being faithful. But when he's speaking to you, he's trying to take you someplace good. And by listening, by following him, you get there. Does that make sense? See, David had to help Solomon understand this, that, that observing what God says, obeying, is, is to listen to a good father whose words will not lead you astray, but they'll lead you to goodness, even if it's hard, right? You have to have strength, but it'll ultimately lead you to a place of goodness. And that's where he sums it up in the third, uh, third uh, phrase. And I think this is so important. He says, do this so that you may prosper in all you do. The reason I'm asking you to do this is, is so that you can, you can prosper, Isn't this what we want for those who come after us? We want them to prosper. We want their life, their existence to be better. We want their relationships to be richer. We want their relationship with God to be fuller. We want their sense of meaning to be greater than even ours. Now, what I find interesting about all of this is, uh, is actually that as David does this, and I mean, it's kind of textbook, right? He has this moment and he's speaking to his son near his death and he's speaking these words of truth and conviction. Here's what I find interesting. That Solomon wasn't David's first choice to be king over Israel. I don't know if you know that. But uh, David's first choice to be king was actually his older son, Absalom. And uh, Absalom was being raised to be the crown prince. He knew it. And yet something happened along the way with Absalom and and his relationship with his father. And there became tension. And that tension turned into a rebellion. That rebellion turned into a civil war. And as a result of the civil war, Absalom died. He lost his life. And David, of course, was heartbroken. Totally heartbroken about this. But I think something greater happened than just heartbreak within David. I think David received a wake-up call. He received a wake-up call that to have a great king sit on the throne of Israel after him, it wasn't just going to happen. He had to be intentional about his legacy, not just speaking the right words at the right time, but bigger than that, he had to be intentional about letting his son Solomon see his legacy up close and personally. Let me just put that to you today, that one of the greatest things that you can do for the future generations is let them see you live out the good life. Sometimes people say talk is cheap. I, I, of course, don't believe that because I make my living out of talking, so I don't believe that's true. But here's what I do believe is cheap. Uh, When you talk one way and you live another way. See, I think the way talk becomes really powerful, the way words become powerful, is when those words confirm what's already being seen through your actions. And so if you want to think about your legacy today intentionally, maybe, maybe you shouldn't start with your words. Maybe you should start with your actions. If you want your kids or those who come after you to know the value of hard work, then you can't just talk about it, right? You've got to show them. And if you want your kids to, to know what it is to be generous, then you can't just talk about generosity. You have to show them generosity. You have to model it for them. I've got a 13-year-old, and I think it's probably about time that we, we literally open up our checkbook ledger, our bank account ledger, and we begin to show her the priorities that we make as a family and how generosity is at the fabric of who we are. And we show her in concrete numbers, not just talk about it as platitudes. We have to show her what it is that we do, right? 
um, when it comes to things like how to treat people. You can't just talk about, oh, treat those people nice and be a good friend and treat people who are differently than you with respect and kindness. Right? You've got to model that. And if, and if you say one thing and you do another, it's all, it doesn't mean anything. And it's especially true when it comes to faith, isn't it? When it comes to faith. Gosh, you know, when it comes to faith, you can talk the talk, you can go to church, you can identify as a Christian, but you know what will truly impact generations who come after you? It's not if you can talk a good game when it comes to your faith, but it's if you can live your faith. If you can live an authentic and sincere, notice I didn't say perfect, but an authentic and a sincere faith. Right now in our church, student ministry is just exploding. And um, it's, it's awesome. We're watching middle schoolers and high schoolers just growing on their life journey. They're being excited about God. They're doing great things. Um, it's, just, it's just so amazing. And we're so thankful. In a couple of years' time, our whole student ministry has turned around. And, and we're just, we're just kind of blown away by it. And as, as the leader here, I'm going, all right, so what's working right about this? What is God doing here? And how do we, how do we keep this going? How do we not mess this up? And, and uh, here's what I know, that, that at least part of it is that we've got really gifted hardworking, dedicated leaders in Pua Kaufman and in John Shepard and in their leader, Chris Toomey. Uh, they do amazing things here. Yeah. So dedicated to kids. They're willing to do anything. But, but you know what? I thought about that and I go, but we've had those people before. What's different now? And here's what I think it is. I think the difference now is that these leaders, they go out of their way to model a sincere an authentic faith. And that's not to say that people before were insincere. That's not what I mean. But, but I think that these leaders go out of their way to help middle schoolers and high schoolers see what it looks like to struggle. Right? To struggle with the hard things that God says. They just put that on display. And, uh, and to be filled with doubts and questions sometimes. They make that a part of their teaching. That, just that authenticity of doubt that we all experience. Uh, the questioning, the doubt, the struggle. Um, all of that, they just embody it so well. And, and not only that, but, but they embody what it looks like to have a sincere love and faith on top of all that. And, and they just show that. And you know, that's making an impression on middle schoolers. Do you know how hard it is to impress a middle schooler? <laughs> right? I mean, it's really hard to impress a middle, middle schooler. They're not impressed with anything. And yet they're being impressed. Why? It's not just about all the awesome music and the fun games. I mean, that stuff's great and, and that's an important part of it. But, but, but what's really impressive is that they are seeing a sincere and authentic faith from their leaders and that is impressing them deeply. Talk about legacy. That's where it starts. I mean, I know for me, some of you know my family story. My dad, I did not grow up sitting next to him in church. He wasn't a Christian for the first 14 years of my life. And, and then he came to faith and that impressed me because it was miraculous. I never thought my dad would ever come to faith. And yet what was almost as impressive to me were those moments where as a high school student, I'd be sitting next to my dad in church. And um, our pastor was an awesome pastor. He would, he would get up and he would talk about the grace of God and there would, be, there would be weekends where I'd look over at my dad and I'd look at my dad, this, this tough, hard guy, this guy who liked to keep it together, who liked to be in control as much as he could. And I would watch as he would weep talking about the grace of God or hearing the grace of God be talked about. And I knew, I knew if there was any way my dad had, if, if there's any way he could have power over his emotions in that moment, he would exert it. If there was any way he could keep himself from weeping in church, he would have stopped it. But he was encountering, my powerful, strong dad was encountering something more powerful than him. Do you know the impression that made on me 
as a high school student looking at the most powerful man I had ever knew in, in my life, and he's still right up there, just watching him be overcome by something greater than him. Man, that made an impression on me, right? See, if you want to talk about your legacy, don't leave it only up to words, as important as words may be. Well, let me say it this way. A legacy is not something you can talk about at the end of your life. It's something you live out throughout your entire life. Right? It's not something you can just talk about at the end of your life and say, hey, here's what I want for you. But it's something that you are living out day by day, every day of living, which is what makes this really scary. Because the reality is, whether you've been intentional or not, you are already crafting your legacy. Simply by the way that you're living your life. And everyone around you, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your coworkers, your employees, whoever, they're watching you and you, you're crafting the legacy that you are leaving to them by the decisions that you make, by the priorities you keep, by the commitments you keep or don't keep, by the way you live your life. And so here's what I want to do right now. I want you just to think about the current state of your legacy. And here's how I want you to do it. Um, at the end of your row, there are a stack of index cards. Grab one, pass it down, make sure everyone gets one. So if you have to get up and move, that's okay. Go ahead and do that right now. Make sure everyone has an index card. And what I want you to do is I'm going to give you just a second. And what I want you to do is I want you to um, begin to think about the legacy that you are presently leaving behind for all of those who are watching you. For those who are gathered around you in life, who get to see you live life, what is it that they are seeing? What is the legacy that you are living simply by the way, leaving rather, simply by the way that you are living your life? Now, um, I just want you to jot down words. Don't write a whole sentence. Just jot down some key words about the character traits, the values, the attributes that people see in you. I'm only going to give you a second to do that, but I want you to do that right now. There should be pens ahead of you. Go ahead. Before we go on, um, let, me just, let me just say this, that um, when you see Tim Ryman come back to the piano, um, I want you to clap, no matter where I am in my message, because he was supposed to be out here just now, making this moment a little less awkward, and uh, he forgot. So uh, when he finally comes out, just go ahead and clap for him whenever you see his mug out there on the piano, just go ahead and do it, and it'll be awkward, but that'll just pay him back for leaving us hanging in this awkward moment here. Um, so I only, I only had, I had like six things on my list as I wrote it down. Um, and I wrote words, you know, this is what I think people see. 
you know, what's the legacy I'm, I'm leaving right now just by the way I'm living? Hey, Tim. I was honestly really concerned about what happened to you. I'm, I'm glad you're okay. And now I'm going to make sure that tomorrow you will not be okay for a... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, no big deal. Um, so I wrote down words. Uh, the words I wrote down were, um, I, I think people see in my life love and dedication. I think I model that. But I also think that they see things like stress and a lack of joy in living, which I don't want that to be part of my legacy. I think there's conviction, you know, principle. I also think they, they uh, see or they, they see part of my legacy as being a sharp tongue. You know, I have to fight it against my kids. Why, why are you talking to each other like that? Oh, I wonder why they're talking to each other like that, right? Um, I think an unhealthy relationship with technology is another thing that I unfortunately am leaving behind for them. It's scary, isn't it? When you start thinking about what does my legacy look like? Um, today, what I want to do is I want to challenge us to be more intentional about the legacy that we're leaving, to begin to think about it, begin to begin to edit it. It's within your power to do that by God's help. But here's where I want you to start. I want you to start with modeling what it looks like to live under grace. Because here's the truth. No matter how hard you try at this, no matter how hard you work at this, you're never going to get it right. There will always be things that you demonstrate in your life that you wish you weren't demonstrating. And there'll be things that, that kids and grandkids and those around you pick up on that you don't want them to pick up on. And yet it's a part of you. It's a struggle that you just can't beat. And so I think the first thing that you need to do is, is, a, is a part of your legacy. Show those in your life. Talk to those people in your life about what it looks like to live under grace. Show them what my dad showed me, you know, sitting there in church, hearing about the grace of God and becoming overwhelmed by it. Because you're not perfect and you never will be. And just let that be known to everyone around you that you don't, that you will never make it to perfection. That's why you love Jesus because he loves you with a perfect love in spite of yourself. And not only that, not only does he take away all of your failure and shame so that you can hold your head high, but, but more than that, Jesus has the power to take all of those negative things and he can redeem those and actually use them for good. He does it all the time in my life. He can do it in your life. You need to make that a part of your legacy. And then from there, you know what? It's up to you about what you want your legacy to look like. Today, I'm just going to challenge you to be intentional. Because when you're intentional, crazy things happen. Uh, to close, I just want to share with you this, this uh, story. Um, maybe you've heard us talk before about Tim and Diane Essela. They are uh, people who have been a part of St. John for over a decade. This is what they look like. Um, they've been here for over a decade, serving in different ways. Just awesome people. If you know them, you are blessed to know them. A few years ago, though, they decided that um, even in their life of service and giving and generosity, as they were nearing an early retirement, they thought, you know what? We want to go deeper. We want to do something bigger. We want to be more intentional about our legacy. And so they came in one day, they scheduled a meeting with me, and they said, hey, uh, we want to go all in, and we want to tithe. We want to give 10% to God of our retirement, the first fruits of our retirement years. We want to give him our first and best retirement years. And uh, we just want to serve him in some big way. And we don't know what this looks like, but we want you to pray with us and pray for us and keep us in mind if anything comes up. And about that time, we were getting really deep into work in Cambodia. And uh, over the years, long story short, they've, uh, they decided in the fall that um, they were going to go and they're going to live in Cambodia. And that's what they've been doing. They've been living in Cambodia, serving at Stronghold Cambodia, the, the ministry that we started there, which teaches kids, gives them education, teaches them English, gives them a nutritious meal every day, teaches them about Jesus. It strengthens their families and helps their families be better. Uh, it's an amazing thing. We do that for 84 students this year. 
It started at 40. It's up to 84. It's growing all the time. We've got a great uh, Kamai Cambodian staff that are there. Tim and Diane have joined them there. Now, they're actually home on furlough right now for the summer. And uh, they're going to be out in the lobby after the service. So if you want to talk to them more about it, we encourage you to do so. They're, they're great, great people. Uh, but man, man just, just someone who's taking their legacy and living with it intentionally. And I want to share with you just a quick story about them that I think will demonstrate the power of being intentional about your legacy. You don't have to be perfect, just be intentional. So Tim shared the story with me a, a week or so ago that there is a sixth grader in the program at Stronghold by the name of Darrow. Sixth grade. And uh, Darrow's English is coming along, but one day um, they were in class and they were singing the old spiritual, the old folk song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I don't know, does anyone know that song? I've decided to follow Jesus, a few of you do. Uh, They were singing that song, and then later on in the class, after the class was over, Darrow came up to Tim and said, Mr. Tim, who do you follow? And uh, Tim was was a little confused by the question. He had forgotten that they sung the song, and so he said, what do you mean, Darrow? And Darrow said, well, I've decided to follow Jesus. Mr. Tim, who do you follow? And, And Tim said, I follow Jesus too. And they had a conversation, and they walked out of the room that day, singing together the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. The next day, Darrow came back. And at the end of the class, he had a follow-up question. And he said, Teacher Tim, do you think Jesus loves Buddhists? And Tim said, Jesus loves everybody, Darrow. Why do you ask? And Darrow said, because my family is Buddhist. And then he looked at Tim really earnestly and he said, does Jesus love them too? And Tim looked back and said, I promise you, I guarantee, I, I can guarantee you that Jesus loves your family. He loves them too. And then I want you to hear what the sixth grade boy said back to Tim. He said, well, teacher Tim, I have decided that my family will follow Jesus too. Now, I want you just to get this connection. Here you have some 60-year-old people who have decided to be intentional about their legacy. And what that's done is not only leave something behind for their kids and grandkids, and not only are they impacting kids, but but do you know what message they're sending? These 60-year-olds who have decided to be intentional about their legacy, they're inspiring a sixth grader to be intentional about his. So you have a sixth grade boy who says, I have decided that my family is going to follow Jesus too. And you know what? I believe he has the power to do that. See, I believe you have the power to do that too. It simply starts with you being intentional about your legacy. And it will take strength. As David said to Solomon, it will take courage. It will take being, being obedient, observing what God says, trusting him and what he calls you to live as the good life. But ultimately, it simply takes an act of faith of being intentional. So here's how I want to wrap this up today. I'm going to wrap up where we started, okay? So back at the beginning, I, I described that scene and I want to put you back there, that scene where you are well advanced in years. And you're near the end of your life and your loved ones are gathered around and you have the opportunity to speak to them about what life is all about, what makes for a good life. You get to speak your hopes and dreams over them, hoping to to then galvanize your legacy for generations to come. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just a minute, turn that card over and I want you to begin to write out what it is that you might say. You're not going to have a lot of time, but go ahead and take a moment and get started.
know I didn't give you enough time and the card isn't big enough. Why don't you go ahead and finish this up when you go home today? And then here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to begin to pray that God will help you by, by his grace, by his power to help side one, your present reality, that it will begin to look a little more like your dream reality on side two. In fact, let's pray for that together now. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are um, the great legacy provider for us and that you've called us into this legacy of faith. And you've called us people who have no right to be yours, people who are lost and, and uh, just disobedient and, and uh, difficult. You've called us to be yours and you've made us your sons and daughters. And you've invited us into your rich inheritance, into a legacy of faith. Father, thank you for that. Thanks for teaching us about the good life over this series. Thanks for reminding us of some things that we maybe knew once and have forgotten or have stopped practicing. Thanks for teaching us brand new things about what makes life really full. Keep teaching us, Father. But more than that, we pray that you would help us not only to live the good life ourselves, but you would help us live in such a way that future generations discover the good life. Father, we ask that you would help side one on our card look a little more like side two, that, that our lives would be a living legacy so that one day, if we get the opportunity to speak to our loved ones about what matters to us most before we leave this earth, Father, so that they will already know all that. Not because we've told them over and over again, but because they've seen it. We pray that you make that true of us and we can't do it alone. Accomplish it by your Spirit's work in us, by the grace of Jesus.